Welcome to the Women in Leadership podcast series presented by BIV. I'm Haley Wooden, Executive Editor of Business in Vancouver. This series is sponsored by the Women's Enterprise Center. The nonprofit organization is devoted to helping BC women start, lead, and grow their own businesses. For over 25 years, they provided business loans of up to $150,000, plus integrated services, including advice, training, mentorship, resources, and a supportive community to help female business owners gain the skills, the mindset, financing, and networks that they need to realize their business potential and goals. Throughout this week, I'll be exploring the topics of leadership, adversity, growth, and inclusion with four truly remarkable female leaders. You can watch the series at BIV.com video and listen to the conversations at BIV.com audio. And all updates on the series as we post new episodes throughout the week will be made available at BIV.com slash article slash WIL for women in leadership. Here's today's episode. My guest today is BC's Minister of Finance, the Honorable Selena Robinson, previously served as Minister Responsible for Municipal Affairs and Housing. Since 2013, she has represented the riding of Coquitlam Maillardville as an MLA. We are thrilled to have her as one of our guests on our exclusive Women in Leadership podcast. Minister, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Now, this past year has been challenging for absolutely everyone, but I want to hear from you. What has the last year been like, not only for a leader such as yourself, but as an elected leader that has quite a bit of responsibility and someone who everyone else has turned to for leadership throughout a very difficult time? It's, it's been quite a year, uh, certainly for us in government, but for all British Columbians, we've all struggled so, so much and sacrificed so much for the well-being of not just ourselves and our families, but for all of our citizens. It's required us all to change our behaviors and our choices in, in such a significant way. Uh, it's, and as a government, we uh, knew right from the get-go uh, that we needed to be there for the people here, that we represent 5 million people here in British Columbia, and it was our job as government to you know, make decisions uh, with the, whatever information we had uh, that would meet the needs of British Columbians. And that's the position that we took a year ago this month. Uh, and it's the position that uh, we stand by still. I know we're still very much in the thick of things, but are there any lessons to date on leadership or have there been any reflections you've had or lessons, insights you've gleaned about the role of a leader during a difficult time? Well, I, I think as, as leaders, um, you know, you, you think you have to think ahead for sure. But if you go too far ahead, then you miss important information. So that's one of the things that I've I learned through this pandemic, because we couldn't predict, you know, where we would be a month or two months or six months from, for example, last March. And so really uh, being very focused on what's the decisions ahead of me for right now has been one of the things that has really struck me as a as a leader as a decision maker how important it is to stay in the moment uh, and to be focused on what do we need right now yes we need to think about the future but right now we're in a crisis and we need to be paying attention to the the details that we have right now act for right now and recognize that we may need to change the decision going forward once we have more information so the other piece of that is be, be uh, willing to adapt and I think British Columbians have demonstrated that throughout this pandemic. They have been adapting and will continue to adapt as uh, the pandemic changes. 
course, you mentioned a little bit earlier how priorities perhaps have changed or we've begun to think a little bit differently about what matters to us in life. Have you had any change in priorities or any insights into what you really value uh, as a person or as a leader? Oh, that's such a good question because I think, you know, this pandemic has struck all of us in, in different ways. Um, and one of the, I guess I'll call it a little bit of a gift is being home all year. Uh, as, a, as an elected um, official who has to come uh, to Victoria, who has to travel the province. Um, and I love touring the province. I love seeing people um, in different communities, especially small communities. I come from an urban, semi-urban, suburban place. And so really visiting rural British Columbia is really absolutely critical to me. But I will relish the fact that I, you know, I got to sleep in my own bed pretty much every night this last this last year and and that that home means something uh, a little bit it's more it feels more precious for sure i think i've seen certain family members more on zoom than i would have seen them otherwise pre-pandemic which is kind of interesting not the same as meeting in person of course but we can still have those connections Right. And, and the fact that I actually visited with a friend who lives in the Netherlands on Zoom, and I never would have thought to do that um, outside the pandemic. So we've also learned how to use the technology uh, to, um, to connect with people that we, we never really thought to do before. Absolutely. Uh, one of the changes we've also seen over the past year has been around the face of leadership and perhaps what we expect of leaders, say, in the corporate sector, for example, and the need to be and the recognition that we need to be more inclusive and more diverse in our leadership. Are you noticing a similar change in politics? Well, as a, as a government, we've always said that we needed to have better representation uh, in leadership. And uh, well over a decade ago, the New Democrats put in, made some policy changes around um, you know, an equity mandate and making sure that we saw uh, more women and more uh, diverse people from um, equity seeking groups uh, represented in government. And, and our, you know, since our last election, we've certainly seen that. We're more than 50% women now um, in the legislature, which uh, I think is absolutely spectacular. 50% of women are around the cabinet table. Um, and I think that makes us a better government because we have better representation. Uh, we have diversity of ideas. We have diversity of experiences. And it's from those experiences that that's what we bring to the leadership table is, is our experience. And so making sure that we have those various um, lived experiences um, is really critical to understanding what do people need. And, and I'm very proud of the fact that our government has made such a concerted effort for such a long time and that we have arrived at this amazing, amazing time. And we've made Canadian history as having um, the first caucus uh, of about 50, you know, more than 50% women. Which is a really important milestone. That's great to see and great that BC can claim that. Um, I'm curious, do you think even as we get closer to say gender parity in terms of numbers, are the experiences of female politicians getting closer in terms of equality to the experiences of male politicians? Are there perhaps still some different standards there or experiences there? I think there are different standards. I, I think there's still work for us to do. Um, we're, we're making progress for sure, um, but I, I still think that there are some gaps. So we know, for example, that um, when um, you know different leaders uh, based on gender can be treated differently. Um, ideas uh, get, I'll say, privileged depending on who brings it forward. Um, we do our best to check ourselves and we do our best to recognize when that happens so that we can make different choices. Uh, but there's still certainly uh, work, more work to be done. Um, we also recognize that um, 
you know, uh, the attacks from the public are certainly the vitriol that I see on my social media, um, the, the vitriol that I see on my Facebook page, for example. Um, I don't see my male colleagues getting it the same way. It's, it's pretty awful. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. Unfortunately, certainly not exclusive to you as well. There have been stories of your colleagues in government who have experienced similar things. Um, and I'm sure that's true for many female politicians around the world. How do you deal with something like that? Well, most of the time for me personally, I just I just delete it. I get rid of it. I, I hide it. I do whatever I do, need to do. I block, I report. Um, and I really try to not let it get to me, but I will confess that sometimes it does. It's just because it's so ugly. It's just so ugly. And and I can appreciate people being upset or disappointed with a decision that, that we've made or that I've made. Um, and I can appreciate that. And, and I want to encourage people to express their disappointment or their frustration. And I'm, I'm happy to listen to that. But to engage in name calling, to refer to body parts in ways that are um, disparaging and are meant to um, to cut to cut uh, and to destroy. Um, the, you know that after a while it can be quite wearing. And so what it does for me is it makes me less willing to engage on social media. It actually, you know, keeps me from. I'll still for sure do my job, but it makes me less tr- trusting of the public. Um, and the public, I think, loses out because I want to engage. Um, but if I'm going to be um, hurled at these horrible words, you know, coming at me, um, I also feel like I need to protect myself. And I can certainly say that my family, my husband in particular, gets pretty outraged and very protective. Um, you know, so so it affects not just me, but the people who love me as well. Um, and I don't think that um, that that we that that's an appropriate way to in, to be in the in the public sphere. That people need to. Remember that others are watching as well, and, and it's it's just so disrespectful. Do you have any thoughts on how we get past that, or is that unfortunately just perhaps something that is to be expected in this social media age? Well, I think it's important that we call it out, and I have called it out um, on a, on a, you know on occasion. Um, sometimes it's bots or others, and there's no no one to call out, which is which is. Hard. Uh, but when there is someone to call out, I think it is important that we call out. But I also think it's important that that others call it out. That that if 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 we witness somebody being disparaged in that with that kind of vitriol, when it's coming at you, um, it's it's much harder to respond than if somebody else says not okay um, and calls others out. And and I want to invite others to participate in calling out that kind of ugliness that that takes over the the discourse that keeps us from fully engaging. And I'm happy to have a a full um, um, conversation that is rich with ideas and challenges ideas and challenges uh, perspectives and assumptions. We should be doing that. That's good. That's democracy. It's when we get a personal and biting um, and we engage in disrespect that that's actually shuts everything down. So we need to support each other much like we did um, and have been doing around the pandemic, right? We are supporting each other. We are putting on masks to protect each other. We need to do that with, with words that hurt. Yeah, it's certainly possible to disagree, but there should never be any tolerance for disrespect when we disagree. It's a good message. Exactly, exactly. I want to pull back a little bit from this conversation, ask you more generally, what would you say has been your greatest challenge throughout your professional career? As a politician? Sure. Um, 
My greatest challenge, I think, is, um, is, is the volume of work and the speed um, at which you desire to work in terms of bringing change. Um, you see so much that you want to do, but you can only, you know, move as quickly as, you know, the system moves while you can push the system farther, but you also need to bring people along. And I think that's one of the keys around um, leadership. It's not just making decisions and expecting others to, to just fall in line. We need to bring people along and that takes time. And that take, means engagement, and that means understanding perspective, and that means, you know, understanding how it's going to impact people, and then how do you help them get through to what a change might look like. And so, you know, it's the desire to move faster and the uh, and bringing people along, and sometimes they can't move as fast. That's always a bit of a of a tension that's you know hard to reconcile sometimes. Yeah, and I want to ask you about reconciling that during a pandemic where there has been many, many acute needs to move quickly and make decisions quickly and make funding available quickly. But I completely understand as well the need to engage and make sure that things are thought through fully. Do you have any insights you've gleaned from managing that? Um, it's a really good question, and I'm still processing it. I can remember um, in the early days um, having to um, look at sort of uh, renters, for example, right? We were all told to sort of stay in place and what was the impact on renters and, you know, and, and if they weren't working and how was that going to impact their ability to pay rent and then we're going to have all these evictions and, and try to anticipate what could happen and what we needed to put in place to, to make sure that didn't happen. And we did move quickly and we, we came in with the renter supplement. We're the only government, I think, outside of PEI that did anything to support renters um, and by paying directly to the landlord. And, and I remember thinking how quickly we were moving and we weren't going through the, the processes, I would say, of, of making sure that everyone involved in this relationship understood what we were trying to do. Um, and, you know, but we, but we still needed to move quickly. And so you lose something, right? You lose some of the relationship and some of the understanding um, and you have to go back and, and rebuild that, which of course we did and, and we got through it I think I think really well, all things considered. Um, so you know, taking that rest to sometimes plunge in, uh, you, you need to do in the context of the crisis. And I think most people appreciate what we did and that we did move fast. But it's not something that I think we should do all the time, um, because I do think there are risks um, that you, you you miss out an important piece. And so listening to uh, the end user, listening to what people need, is really absolutely critical. And it's an important part of leadership um, because unless you know what people need, you're not going to be able to respond appropriately. So uh, we were we were in a crisis, um, and we needed to you know listen uh, as quickly as we as we could and move as quickly as we could. But it's not something that I think is sustainable. What has it been like for you to transition portfolios in the middle of all of this uncertainty and upheaval? Well, I can tell you that the, one of the first things I did when I looked at um, the stack of binders that were before me as part of transition and looked at uh, the staffing complement that I have in order to help me in, in this new role as Minister of Finance, first thing I did was I called Carol James, who was a previous finance minister, and I apologized for not being more patient with her um, or more understanding of the significant um, file that comes uh, with the Ministry of Finance. Um, so it's been a learning curve, uh, just like with any new file. It's you know learning new language, learning new uh, new roles, new, learning new responsibilities, new legislation. Um, and but it's coming up. I have a we have a great staff here, and I and I want to take a moment to just acknowledge the public service. Um, 
they have been outstanding through this entire pandemic. They're, um, you know, they're the, the folks behind the scenes who are making sure that the policies work, who are um, answering the phones for any of the multiple uh, programs that we've had to put together very quickly uh, and roll out very quickly. And they have done an outstanding job. And I don't think uh, we as British Columbians can really fully appreciate how they have pivoted, how they have put work that they have been doing uh, to the side. They have tucked it away and pivoted to a brand new uh, programs that they have never delivered before. They're bigger than any other program they, that they've delivered before. And they have been doing it with grace and with patience. And, and I think we should all be grateful for their hard work. I'm glad you mentioned that. Certainly, perhaps not physically on the front line, but on the front line in spirit, making sure that very important programs get delivered. I mean, we're making the decisions, but they're delivering the service. And and I know that they have been working long hours through weekends, through holidays. And I'm, for one, I'm incredibly grateful for 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 what they have been able to do. And having witnessed it, um, I have been completely blown away by their dedication. You mentioned the significance of the finance portfolio. We also know BC is looking at its largest deficit on record. There's still, of course, a lot of economic pain and challenges that exist. What are you turning to or who are you turning to to try and get some guidance, perhaps, or get up to speed around how to to handle this, considering also that in many ways you're going to be the first person to tackle something of this nature? Yeah, well, it's um, it's certainly you know unprecedented, um, and I, I have to say that um, having been in government the last number of years, having presented balanced budgets, having um, you know good uh, prudence uh, around budgeting, um, and de- and continuing to deliver for British Columbians, um, we've we went into this pandemic with incredible um, opportunity, uh, and you know given that we were able to pivot, we were able to keep you know, much of our economy going, and and that's with tremendous gratitude to the business sector, to the nonprofit sector, um, to the healthcare sector, um, and to all British Columbians, because we listened to Dr. Henry. We have been able to sort of have a a sustained economy, uh, certainly not as robust as it was, for sure. Um, And so we've been able to um, come back in a much better way. Now, Now that we're here, we're on the cusp of vaccinations with you know, more than 98% of our uh, employment rate is back up to where it was pre-pandemic. That's tremendous. We also um, you know, are expecting uh, you know, a really good recovery. I met with the Economic Forecast Council a couple of weeks ago, and they said, frankly, that BC is the place to be in Canada for economic recovery. Um, and that really sort of demonstrates you know, the, the focus that we have had Uh, to make sure that we can continue to take care of people, we can continue to take care of businesses, we can continue to take care of communities and still be ready for an economy once uh, we get through this pandemic. So I'm, I'm looking forward to what the future brings for British Columbia. I know we've been reporting at BIV, the the recovery has started, although it's not that full recovery yet, and we're certainly not back to normal and far away from getting back to perhaps where we were in 2019 or before. Uh, For people who don't feel like the recovery's come to them yet, or they're still itching to get back to that sense of normal, can you share what your goals are going to be in your upcoming term as Minister of Finance? Thank you for that. And 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 I think we need to recognize that that um, I think Dr. Henry has said, we're all in the same storm, but we're in different boats. And so we know that not everybody has uh, been able to either pivot or be resilient. Uh, we know that the tourism sector has been you know, really hit hard with this pandemic. 
Uh, and so as a government, uh, we have been committed to supporting people, to supporting businesses. We're still committed to that. We still want to help people get through this next chunk of time before we can um, really fully go back to our activities pre-pandemic. But we also simultaneously need to be ready to build that road to recovery. And so we are doing both and. We're going to keep supporting people and businesses, and we're going to invest so that we can build back a recovery that better meets um, you know, the goals I think that all British Columbians have, which is to have a good job, to be able to take care of your family, to have the health care and the child care that you need, that you that is there for you when you need it, um, and also to have a good future uh, to, so that you know, people will want to come and invest here in British Columbia, that they do recognize that we frankly are the best place in the world uh, to, to, to live and, and, and to raise a family. Um, and so we look. I look forward to working with my colleagues around the cabinet table to continue to deliver that for British Columbians. Um, what would you say is the best advice you've received either during the pandemic or throughout your political career? The best advice? Um, I think the best advice, uh, you know, I have heard uh, and, then I, and I hold true to my heart is that, you know, remember to listen. Remember to listen. Um, it, it's important to, um, you know, hear from hear different perspectives. Uh, that's, um, I think, you know, critical to understanding other people's experiences because it's it's by listening that we understand what it is that people need, and that helps us figure out how to respond. Um, and so, remember to listen. Really important advice, especially at this point in time, going back to your earlier comments around maybe being very quick to react or to say things and not to genuinely listen and try to hear the other side. Yeah. Yeah. In that vein, do you have any advice to say the next generation of female leaders who are perhaps thinking about or dreaming about entering politics at some point in the future? So what I want to say to future leaders is remember to listen. Uh, it's it's an it's an important um, element to leadership, um, and remember to be flexible and adaptable. Right, it, it, it's it is okay to change your mind. You get new information, and it is okay. Uh, that's to me that demonstrates good leadership. It's um, you know remembering that um, you know we are constantly learning, and as long as you're continually taking in new information and being ready to adapt, that's really what's going to make you resilient. And I think British Columbians have demonstrated that as well. They listened to Dr. Henry, um, they responded um, based on her advice, um, and as a result have been more resilient. We've all had to change, you know, how we do things, how we go grocery shopping, how we wash our hands, um, how we go out, you know, how we work, whether we're doing, the, you know, Zoom, um, or we're wearing a mask. The, you know, when I think a year ago to the idea of doing Zoom meetings or wearing a mask, that seemed foreign. And here we are, and it's what we do every day. So, um, you know, being willing to adapt, um, and I think that's what what gets us through. It's what gets us through as British Columbians, and it's what gets us through as leaders. I uh, I couldn't agree more about the importance of being open to changing one's mind. I want to follow up though. Do you think that's difficult to do in politics, where you say something one year and you genuinely change your mind and you're open to that feedback? but your words get placed side by side and people don't seem very happy that you've changed your mind. How do you deal with that? Yeah, I, that, that, that is a hard one. Um, and I think we all need to do better at that. Um, 
I think, um, you know, when you make a commitment to do something, you should do it for sure. Um, and uh, you should make your commitment based on good information. But this, this pandemic has shown us, uh, you know, that sometimes you need to respond differently in light of new information. And we have been doing that all the way along. And British Columbians understand that. They absolutely understand that. So we need to, you know, um, inform people. We need to uh, make sure that we're listening to people as well. Um, and we need to be able to um, be clear about why this no longer makes sense. We have new information. It's based on this information, we need to do this. And I think Dr. Henry has really shown us as a leader how to do that. And I know that she has certainly um, weathered some uh, stormy days when people were frustrated because what you told us yesterday or last week is not what you're telling us today. And, but I also think British Columbians get that. They really understand that, well, she has new information now. And based on the new information, we need to do it this way instead of that way. And I think British Columbians understand that and respect that because we're still in a reasonably good place. I mean, we're still really hopeful that we'll be able to ease restrictions. She's been really clear that we still need to um, you know, keep that curve flat um, and, and do everything that we can to make sure that we keep everyone safe. And that's certainly a priority for our government as well. Um, but at the same time, as we get new information, it's okay to change course a little bit because at the end of the day, uh, we all want the same things. Absolutely. Uh, in our final moments here, Minister, I want to ask you about which achievement or which achievements have been most meaningful to you throughout your career, either in politics or throughout your entire life's work. Well, I think as a mother, I'll say, you know, raising two adult, now adult children is um, is a thing that I'm, I guess, most most proud of. Um, but um, but I also think, you know, just being here, being in this place where I. I uh, um, uh, became a politician. I never expected to be a politician in 2006. If you would have told me that I'd be the Minister of Finance, I would have thought you were crazy. That, like to, to suggest that that would be where I would uh, wind up. It wasn't a master plan. Uh, so for me, just you know, following, being able to follow a trajectory that uh, just, you know, where, where opportunities presented themselves. And I said, oh, I'll, I'll try that. Um, to me, those are, are really you know, incredible accomplishments because it, 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 it's a risk. It's really a risk to put yourself out there and say, I want to contribute. I want to make things better for right, my, my fellow citizens. I, want, I have something to contribute. And you put your name out there. You put yourself out there. You talk to as many people as you can. And then they pick you. To me, that is the most incredible honor um, that, that I can ever imagine is to have people say, I want you to make decisions on my behalf. And I, every day that I come to work, I am incredibly honored that the people of Coquitlam Millardville have said, yes, Selena, we want you to, to have that role and to represent us um, in the legislature. And so that's to me, the, I think the biggest accomplishment. I wanna thank you minister for your contributions and thank you so much once again for joining our Women in Leadership podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for doing this. That's the Honorable Selena Robinson, Minister of Finance for British Columbia.